Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense Show, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. We've covered the climate change issue from almost every angle over the past 10 years. And here is a new twist, climate engineering. Here to tell us more is Ben Kravitz, Assistant Professor in the Earth and Atmospheric Science Department at Indiana University. Ben, welcome to GreenSense. Thanks for having me. Well, many people confuse climate with weather, and there's a famous saying that climate is what you expect, weather is what you get. Please explain that catchy phrase. Yeah, so there's one that I like even better than that. Climate is the wardrobe you buy, weather is what you wear that day. (laughs) So, for example, um, not too many people in Mexico have heavy winter parkas, whereas you kind of need them if you live in Alaska. So that's a good description of climate. It's just sort of what you can expect on average, what the sorts of seasons will bring, things like that. Longer term stuff than, is it going to rain today? Fantastic. So now that we got that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about research. And empirical research is the gold standard for observing and measuring cause and effect when we're doing experiments. And experiments are designed to stress a variable so that you could derive some knowledge or observation from an actual experience rather than from theory or belief. So why are experimental, uh, why are empirical experiments difficult to design when you observe the cause and effect of climate? Um, It it really is that sort of long-term thing because it's very hard to um, design an experiment that you know, you're going to do over a hundred years, let alone... <laughs> Aren't you going to live that long? <laughs> <laughs> well, also, let alone, that's not something we really want to do just to find out. We don't want to just perturb the earth to see what happens. We only have one of them. So <laughs> that makes it really difficult to figure out. But there are lots of things that we can do. We can observe things over time. There's also computer experiments that we can do where we impose, where where we um, incorporate all of our understanding into computer code. We call it climate modeling. And um, we we code in things that we know are true, like um, conservation of energy, that's a law. Um, And that allows us to do other forms of experiments too, without even having to leave my desk. So where I thought you were going to go with this is that it's very difficult to isolate and stress climate variables, uh, such as externalities, like the impact of the sun on the Earth's climate. You can't make the sun stop shining, else we'll be in big trouble. Um, But uh, what are your thoughts on externalities? How do you isolate those and and understand the effects of those on climate? I mean, the the sun is a great example because like we we don't need to do an experiment with that we kind of understand that one from a lot of different angles um and so like you know not everything needs an experiment to re-verify i mean climate change itself is not a new science we've known that if you add carbon dioxide to the atmosphere it's going to warm the planet we've known that since the mid-1800s so tell us what goes into building climate models um, 
a whole lot of things. So you have to code in, um, well, there are lots of variations of climate models. So you can have very simple ones. Um, you can have very complex ones that do how air moves around and how the atmosphere and the land and the ocean and the ice interact. Fundamentally, they all have energy balance in them. Um, so you can think of it kind of like a bathtub. If there's more coming, if, if it's coming in faster than it can leave, then the bathtub's going to fill up. Same with the Earth system. If you've got more energy coming in than it can get rid of, the planet's going to warm up. So whenever uh, people develop models, they want to perfect them and they calibrate them to prove their accuracy. Talk a little bit about calibrating a climate model and yeah, why that's it, important. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's like calibrating any other tool. So there are these things that we can observe out in the real world. We call them parameters. So for example, um, at what humidity do clouds form? Well, there's a big range of that. And so to specify that in a climate model, you can pick any value within that range. And so uh, what happens is if you pick one value, the climate model might be more sensitive to changes than if you pick a different value. And so what we do is we'll compare model output to observations, and then we'll move those parameters around within the observed range to try to get the climate model to match the observations, which we know it should. Um, how trustworthy are climate models? Because you see lots of uh, agreement between climate scientists all around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, climate models, I think, are very trustworthy. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust a climate model to say, yes, where I live in Bloomington, Indiana, in 10 years, it's going to be such and such degrees warmer. That's a bit too precise. But in terms of their ability to model and explain global warming, um, there was a paper that came out in 2020 looking at climate modeling over the past 50 years. The models are pretty good at it, and they always have been. Uh I hate to ask this question, but you almost have to. Why has climate change become so political when you have so many scientists from around the world agreeing with this? Um, my favorite explanation of that actually goes back to Newt Gingrich, um, where he was talking about how it was unfortunate that the climate change science got wrapped up with the climate change solutions. So for example, we know that um, livestock, cows, create methane. Um, so that's science. But going further and saying, and that's why we need to eat less meat, well, that starts to get into a lot more than just science. That starts to get into people's livelihoods, people's identities. And science can't tell us about that. Interesting. Well, that is a great, I'm glad I asked that question because that was a great answer. So let's get into what you do. Your department specializes in combining global climate, regional climate, and process model simulations with mathematical engineering techniques to understand responses on a variety of temporal and spatial scales. That's a mouthful. In simple terms, what do you do? <laughs> in, in simple terms, I take climate models of the earth and I poke them and I see how it responds. Um, and, you know, I poke them in interesting ways that will tell us about how climate might change in the future and how sensitive the earth is to changes. So as I said earlier, you're, you're, you could engineer the climate 
talk a little bit about that and how you can engineer the climate. Yeah, so if we look at the historical record of climate change over the past 150 years, we know temperatures going up, but it doesn't just tick up year by year. There are some flat parts, there are some dips, and some of the largest dips we know are due to large volcanic eruptions. So volcanoes put a lot of stuff up in the upper atmosphere. One of the things they put up is sulfur, and as it turns out, sulfur is highly reflective. So if it stays up in the atmosphere long enough, it reflects a portion of sunlight back to space, and that cools the planet. So people observed that, and they thought, well, if nature can do that, maybe we can do that on purpose. And that's one of the ideas behind climate engineering. Well, the climate controls so many things on Earth, uh, and they can all have an impact on human health and the environment, such as agriculture, the economy built structures, energy production, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. So what are your models predicting? And what's that mean for all these systems? Yeah, um, and that, that's a really complicated question. I will say we are still working. Well, you have 30 whole seconds, so <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> so um, I, I are, we are not currently at the state where I can tell you a lot beyond the physical climate. So, you know, the things really want to know. People don't walk out their door and think, what's global mean temperature today? They want to know things like food security, water security, um, climate refugees and migration. Are there going to be millions of people um, coming to our borders in the near future because they can't live where they are? And climate models can't answer that. They can answer the sort of drivers leading up to those things, like what happens to temperature, what happens to rainfall, what happens to extreme events. According to our modeling of climate engineering, um, it cannot perfectly offset climate change from CO2, but it does a lot better job than just not doing anything and letting CO2 tick up. Um, most of us are struggling to make ends meet. We don't have the time to think about these big picture issues like climate change. In addition, it's such a big issue that people feel overwhelmed, powerless to change things. What should they pay attention to? Uh, 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 why should they pay attention to the work you're doing? And how does this information help in combating climate change? Um, yeah, I mean, that that's a... a tough question because I, I get it. I mean, I'm not getting rich doing this. I still have to like pay my mortgage and things like that. So um, yeah, the world is a totally overwhelming place. Um, climate change is making it worse. And it's one of those things where it's really slow. So you're not going to wake up tomorrow and say climate change is here. It's been here and it will continue to be here. And it's just going to cause more and more small problems until the problems aren't that small anymore. And by then we'll wish we had done more 50 years prior. Um, yeah, I, I heard an explanation that the climate uh, changing is sort of like an ice cube melting in a glass where it melts very slowly and all of a sudden hits a tipping point mm -hmm. and melts very quickly. And then it's very hard to reverse that. Yeah. yeah sort of analogous to what you just said. So do you have any advice for individuals how you could maybe put their fears at rest or give them something they can do so they can have a positive impact on climate change and not feel so helpless? Yeah, um, so 
When I teach my classes, I borrow some language from Tony Lazaro, it's at Yale, climate change in 10 words. It's real, it's us, it's bad, scientists agree, there's hope. And I always like to emphasize that last part because there is hope. You know, um, my, my students often ask me, how are you not walking around constantly depressed? Um, well, what I have seen is if a lot of really smart people get together and all work together, we can accomplish amazing things. So um, any one person like changing out their incandescent bulbs to LEDs, that's not going to solve climate change. But if you get a lot of people doing it, maybe it can make a dent. And then if you get a lot of people doing something else and you get a lot of people something doing something else and um, ultimately going all the way up to a lot of these um, corporations, countries, large entities where a lot of this um, green, a lot of the greenhouse gas emissions are concentrated. I mean, if we all get together, I think we can do something. Well, Ben, that's always been the mantra at the show here. You know, small change by millions of people yields big environmental results. Um, so who, who is the leader coalescing all these uh, individuals to do something collectively to change the climate? I don't know that there is. And I, and I don't know if that's the right way to think about it. So, I mean, the, the UNFCCC is, has always been leading um, efforts on climate change. But it can't just be let them take care of it and let's sit back. It's got to be this and this and this. And honestly, that's a really tough question. That's that's kind of beyond me. I mean, uh, <laughs> I my the science can. You're just a smart modeler. Right? Well, well I, I'm doing my part, <laughs> right. and, and 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 so um, I, I need a lot of smart people to help me out. All right. So Ben, is there any closing remarks you have? Yeah, when I talk about climate engineering, I always like to say that while it might be able to help, it's not a permanent solution to climate change. We need to stop putting greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Well, that's fair. It's a tough issue, but uh, I really enjoyed having you on the show. It's been a very informative discussion, and thank you for joining us on GreenSense Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. My guest this week was Ben Kravitz, Assistant Professor in the Earth and Atmospheric Science Department at Indiana University, telling about his department's work on climate engineering and how modeling is helping us to combat climate change. GreenSense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more about their sustainable growing technology. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to GreenSense. And check out the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM, WBBM Chicago. GreenSense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more.